It makes it really easy to get up and talk about Jesus after we just sang those songs about all that he did for us. And this morning, like I said, we're on week two of Christian Atheist. Uh, The title, again, if you weren't here last week, it does sound a little contradictory, but what we're talking about is a person who says they're a Christian, but they function like an atheist. Last week, we looked at fear. If you didn't hear that message, you can go back and catch it online. And this week, we're going to talk about another topic that can make us a Christian atheist. It is forgiveness. Now, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever uh, asked maybe this question, who do I have to forgive? We love to try and limit it down as much as possible, right? Who do I have to forgive? Is it those that ask me, those that are, are sorry? Who am I allowed to not forgive? Well, the good news is today I have the answer for you on who you have to forgive. And the world has one answer that's different from what the Bible gives us. And and today I have some answers that come from the world. Who should I forgive? This is the top five people you should forgive according to the Huffington Post. Okay? My answers later will come from the Bible and will be much more inclusive than this. The first one, they give your parents. All right, your parents, number one. Number two, your siblings or your children. So far, so good. Makes sense. You should forgive these people. How about your enemies? That makes sense. They probably steal that one from the Bible. Your spouse, there's a good one. And number five, their favorite one, you should forgive yourself. All right, so they give some people you should forgive, and according to the Huffington Post, if you forgive these five people before you die, then your relationships with people are perfect, and you are the perfect person and forgiver. But the Bible gives us a different view of Jesus, or of of forgiveness from Jesus. Uh, We see God's view for forgiveness is for us to have a much more, uh, uh, much more radical form of forgiveness than what the world has. And if we don't want to live as a Christian atheist, we must forgive because the bottom line for us is God wants us to be forgiving people. He wants us to be forgiving people. So today we're going to start off in Matthew 6 verse 12. Here the Bible says, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Here Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's giving them the model prayer, teaching them how to pray. And he comes to this verse talking about forgiveness. First we see, he tells us Christians live like atheists when we don't forgive others. Here a debt, it means an offense. It means something owed. It means something due to a moral fault. Somebody has taken an offense against you. They've sinned against you. It's something worth forgiving. And the first thing that we see from this is we ask for forgiveness easily, right? Forgive us our debts. We ask God for forgiveness. We might ask others for forgiveness. And it gives the idea of of, uh, the way forgiveness is used here is it gives the idea that it's a request being made. If I sin against somebody or wrong somebody, I go ask for forgiveness and I hope, I'm requesting for forgiveness, I hope they give it to me, right? That's the idea here. It is a request being made to God saying, okay, God, forgive us 
our debts. Our debts. Forgive us where we've sinned against you. We ask for God to change his relation with us and our sins. And Jesus says here, we ask for forgiveness easily. We should be willing to forgive as easily as we forgive our debtors. When forgiveness is used the second time here, it's used a little different. It's now used as stating a fact. So the first time we're hoping for a change, we're hoping they forgive us. The second time Jesus is saying, if you're going to ask for forgiveness, he's assuming that the disciples, they're already forgiving everybody, right? They're already perfect on it. So he's saying, all right, if you're forgiving other, if you're asking for forgiveness, you should be forgiving others. Christ assumes that those that are asking for forgiveness for their own sins, they're already, they've already taken care of forgiving others that have wronged them, right? And I have a story here, an illustration of this. This was in Reader's Digest, uh, most amazing examples of forgiveness. The story goes, after a long shift at a fire department, a man named Matt fell asleep while driving and crashed into another vehicle, taking the life of a pregnant mother and injuring her 19-month-old daughter. Now, according to today, uh, the husband of the woman who died in the crash was a pastor, and he asked actually for the man to have a lightened, a lower sentence when they were sentencing him. And he began actually meeting with the man for coffee and conversation. And I read the story a little more in-depth later. They did end up giving him a lower sentence based on that man asking for it. And many years later, the two men still remain close. They see each other at holidays. Their kids spend time with each other. And they asked this man who lost his wife, why did you show such forgiveness? And he said, you forgive as you've been forgiven. You forgive as you've been forgiven. And that's an application and a challenge for us as well. The application is we should be forgiving people. It's a fact. We expect God to forgive us, so we should be forgiving others as well. And the fact is, when we don't forgive others, we live life like a Christian atheist. We're expecting God to forgive us, and we aren't showing forgiveness to others. Now that answers the question, okay, do we have to forgive? Yes, we have to forgive. We're told to forgive others. So now how about how should we forgive? Uh, look at Matthew, we'll look at Matthew 18, 21 through 35, and here Jesus tells us Christians live like atheists when we try to put our own terms on forgiveness, when we try to uh, forgive people our way. And in this passage, Uh, The disciples had just sat down there talking with Jesus, and they had just asked Jesus who the most important person will be in his kingdom. Like, hey, Jesus, who's your favorite? Which one of us is going to sit at your right hand? Imagine asking your boss that, right? That's not a question you'd probably ask. Who's your favorite worker? Is it me? Am I your number two? It's probably not a wise question to ask your boss. But they asked Jesus that. Imagine asking him that. Who's your favorite disciple? Okay, so Jesus takes care of that issue. He helps them with their pride issue. He challenges them on a few more things. And then he starts talking about forgiveness. And he challenges them on uh, forgiveness amongst believers, amongst Christians, and how they should handle when there's a fault between each other. 
says, you know, go to each other by yourself, then with a witness, then in front of everybody. And he talks about how to handle faults between each other. So Peter's sitting here listening to this, and he comes up with a question, right? He had just heard all this, and Peter had a great question about forgiveness. And here it is. Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? So we love Peter, right? Because we love to look at Peter and we love to judge him for questions like this, right? It's really easy because we get to see Jesus' answer uh, after that. So we get to know, oh yeah, Peter messed up here with this question. But we ask questions just like it, right? And Jesus says, all right, Peter, this is your view of forgiveness. This is man's view, our view of forgiveness like Peter's. We're not not too different than him oftentimes, right? Maybe we ask questions like, well, I forgave one time, so that should be good, right? I already forgave him. Or I'll forgive someone, but I'll never forget, right? Now we sound not too much different than Peter. Not, not too far off. Peter basically says, all right, Lord, you've talked about forgiveness, but how many times do we have to forgive somebody? Like, can they just keep doing the same thing and I still have to forgive them? And so back then, the Jewish tradition, the rabbis would teach that two to three times of forgiveness was like a lot. You're doing really good. That was great. So Peter thinks, they teach that. I'm going to be a little bit better. Lord, how about seven times? Is that good? Like, I am forgiving two to three times more than anyone else, than what the religious people teach. So I must be great. And that's not that crazy, right? Peter's just asking the Lord, how many times do we have to forgive someone? How many times do we let them, them uh, take advantage of us, wrong us, before we're done? And you can, we can ask ourselves, have I asked that question? Have I quit forgiving somebody who's wronged me a couple times? It's a view of forgiveness like what Peter had. When in reality, we see that God's view of forgiveness is really, honestly, quite different. Look at Jesus' response to Peter. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. So Jesus challenges him here with a math problem. And if you're here and you're like me and you're not amazing at math, that is 490 times. I looked it up, so I made sure. Did it on a calculator, so that's right. <clears throat> I have a Bible degree, not math. So math's not my strong suit, but I looked it up. Now Jesus has given him a number, right? And Jesus challenges Peter in God's view of forgiveness here. Jesus challenges us to forgive without the focus on offenses. He gives a number, um, but the idea here isn't, Peter, forgive 490 times, but rather it's forgive, forgive, forgive. Let your forgiveness be abounding so often. The number isn't what Jesus is getting at here, but the heart behind forgiveness. Likely, most of us probably couldn't keep track up to 490 anyways, right? If, you, if I took my iPad here and I was keeping track of everybody's name and they've wronged me once, that person's at 475, they're getting close, only a few more. Most of us probably aren't keeping a spreadsheet for forgiveness, right? So Jesus is saying, all right, it's not about the number, it's about the heart behind it. We should be forgiving people. Not that we keep track, but we forgive Later on, we'll see, because we've been forgiven of much. God's standard for forgiveness is so much higher than the world's, 
than our own. It's even so much higher we see here than religious people's. Religious people say, do right things, forgive a couple times, love people. But God's standard for doing life his way is so much higher than anyone else's. And if we compare ourselves to others, we might think that we're quite spiritual, like Peter. He thought he was doing really, really great. But we shouldn't compare ourselves to others' standards. We should compare ourselves to God's standards. And so Jesus continues on here to challenge their thoughts on forgiveness, and he gives um, a parable, and he challenges us to have compassion with our forgiveness. So we'll continue on looking at the passage, Matthew 18, 23, verse 23. The Bible says, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. So here Jesus is telling a parable. It's, it's a story, an illustration, an analogy he's using to try and help us better understand this point of forgiveness. And the king here in this story is a picture of God and his forgiveness. He can show justice, mercy, and compassion to his servant. We see this servant that owes a massive debt. Now, looking it up and trying to figure out how much exactly this debt was, there's no real frame for it. Most people believe somewhere between $1 million and $3 billion if we figured it out. Now, that's a big range, both big numbers, right? If I said I'm going to give everybody in here a $1 million, who would be excited? Everyone. How about $3 billion? Everyone's going to be pretty equally excited for either amount. It's a large sum. Now imagine owing somebody that much. It's a large debt he owed. Uh, the idea is just a huge amount more than he could repay in his lifetime. And the king had every right to throw the man in prison at the very least, sell him off, sell his land, his possessions, to try and recoup the debt that he owed. And the servant here couldn't repay it at the time. He begged for mercy. He said, will you just give me more time? The king here could have. The king could have said no. But what the king does gives us a challenge about forgiveness the king is moved with compassion, and instead of just giving him more time, the king wipes the debt away. He says, you know what? Forget about it. No more debt. I'm not worried about it. Send you on your way. Have a good day. In debt, we can't repay. Uh, the debt here, again, an idea that this servant was going to never be able to repay this debt. Everything he had essentially was loaned to him and on the line here. And think about it, not too different from us. Our own life lent to us by the Lord, a sin debt we couldn't repay. We'll discuss that more in a moment as we continue on here. But the question is, do you forgive even when someone doesn't ask? Do we forgive just for what someone asked for? Or do we go above and beyond with our forgiveness? This king was asked for one thing, just more time. And he went above and beyond 
with his compassion. The king didn't have to give the servant even more time, but instead he wiped the debt away. That is a a, a radical idea of forgiveness because our idea of forgiveness is who can I forgive the least amount? How can I do it the least? The fewest amount of times. But Jesus here is showing our forgiveness needs to be marked by extreme compassion. Forgiving those that don't deserve it. Forgiving for even what isn't asked for. Jesus then continues the story and gives us one more challenge about forgiveness, and that's don't be hypocritical with our forgiveness. Now, I'm sure this servant is going to be merciful and compassionate to everyone else he runs into now after that. Let's see. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling, and he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt, because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed to him. And Jesus brings it back to an application here and says, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. Jesus challenges us and he warns against being hypocritical with our forgiveness. Uh, The servant here had just had a life-changing amount of debt forgiven, completely wiped away. And now he's going to go uh, settle some accounts with somebody else under him that owes him money. And this servant, it's owed a significantly lower amount of money that hundred denarii is about a about hundred days' wages. So, not a tiny amount. It's not nothing, right? If somebody here owed you three months of your salary, it's a pretty good amount still. It's not a small, completely nothing amount of money, but significantly less than $3 billion. This shows us that sometimes there's sizable offenses against us. This was a sizable debt still, nothing to scoff at, and the man had every right to want his money back. But it seems he forgot the compassion he was just shown. Uh, He took the man by the throat, the Bible says. Put him in a chokehold. If somebody here owed me money this morning and after I grab you and put you in a chokehold asking for it, is that illustrating compassion and forgiveness? Not really. Not at all, right? So that wouldn't really be illustrating what he just had seen. This man begs for more time. Does that sound familiar, right? That happened just a couple verses earlier. The man just begs for time, and the king gives him not just more time, but he wipes the debt away. And this man says, you know what? Nope. Throw him in prison. Now, it doesn't make much sense, because are you ever going to get your money if you throw him in prison and he can't work for and get anything? So he's all but uh, assuring he doesn't get his repayment, And he shows no mercy to this other person, this other servant. Now, some other servants around saw it, and they went back and told the king, their boss, 
And he called the servant in and said, why did you not show the same mercy I just showed you? Why not show the same compassion I just showed you? The Bible tells him that because he was unwilling to show that, the, first, the king hands the first servant over to the tormentors or the torturers. Now, we don't know exactly what all that entails, but by calling them the torturers, that does not sound like it was a positive, good experience. The torturers doesn't sound fun. He's essentially being locked up, no way to make the re- ever make that repayment. And Jesus brings it back in verse 35. He ties the whole parable together and says, all right, here's the main point. Here's what I want you to get from this story. He says, if you don't forgive, if you don't forgive others... God will do this to you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. And that means from the inside, from your thoughts, your feelings, the middle of yourself. This is meaning a sincere form of forgiveness. So not like when you, you tell a little kid, hey, go tell them you're sorry. You know, ask for forgiveness. And they look, I'm sorry. No, not that, right? This is a real deep form of forgiveness. Jesus is saying, mean it when you say it. All right, forgive people. And there's a lot of confusion on this part of the story, but here's the main idea. God wants us to forgive others like he forgives us. That's it. That's the point of the story. Some people will take it and say it means you can lose your salvation and look too deep into a parable, and that's not the point of this. It's an illustration to say, forgive others. Forgive each other. Jesus is saying God wants you to forgive compassionately because he forgave us compassionately. How compassionate do I have to be? Well, in Luke chapter 7, there's another story, another parable Jesus gives, and it talks about two people who are forgiven different amounts. One a lot, one a little. And he says, who's going to be more thankful, more happy for it? And the disciples say, well, the one who was forgiven more. They had more forgiven. And Jesus, he answers them and says, yes, you're right, who is forgiven much will be more thankful. The idea here is we should be forgiving people like we've been forgiven a lot. And maybe you sit here and say, okay, well, I'm a pretty good person. I haven't really done a bunch of big bad things. Jesus hasn't forgiven me of that much. Maybe we haven't done the big bad things, but let's take a moment and see really how much have we been forgiven. Take a look at Romans 5. Romans 5, and this is the last point, Christians live like atheists when we forget how much we've been forgiven of. In Romans 5, it's a passage uh, that talks about Jesus dying for our sins. The Bible tells us God loved us so much he sent Jesus to die on the cross and pay for our sins. In Colossians, we just uh, looked at that, that was our last series, we saw that we owed a sin debt in chapter 3 of Colossians, and Jesus came and paid our sin debt for us, wiped it away, gave us a certificate of paid in full, and that's what he did with our debt. You see, because we've sinned, because we can't reach God's perfect standard of righteousness, because of our sin, we owe a debt for that. And that debt is death or separation from God. But God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us and to pay for that sin. Jesus, who had never sinned himself to take our sin on him and pay for him. 
And here in Romans 5, it details a little more about our position before Jesus died, before we accepted him as our Savior. Let's end with this thought today. Look at how amazing what Jesus did for us was and how much he truly forgave us for. Look at Romans uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 6. The Bible says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the helpless and the ungodly. We were helpless. It means utterly incapable of doing anything to prevent it. We could die for our own sins and be separated from God for all of eternity, but we couldn't do anything to prevent it. We couldn't do enough good works. We couldn't do enough good things. There was nothing we could do to prevent that fact. Have you ever just felt helpless, like you can't do something? Because that's where we were right here. But the answer is Jesus. He died for the helpless. He died for those that couldn't help themselves. He died for the ungodly, the verse says. Literally the opposite of godly is ungodly. He died so we can have new life in him. Think about a helpless person as, as, as like a young child. My sister just had uh, her baby a couple weeks ago, made me an uncle, and she has little Everly now who's about two weeks old. She can't do anything for herself, right? If you left her alone for a day and said, all right, take care of the house, do the dishes, get your food, take care of yourself. She can't do that. She's two weeks old. She's helpless, right? <clears throat> so think about us now. That's how the Bible describes us. We were helpless to take care of ourselves in our salvation. If it wasn't for what Jesus did enduring the pain on the cross for us to have a relationship with him. He continues on in verses 7 and 8 and describes a little bit more about us. Uh, he says, For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the, uh, the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here in this verse, Jesus, Jesus talks about his dying for us and he talks about and says, hey, if somebody was the best person on earth, think about the best person you know, the very best person, would you be willing to give up your life for them? Uh, probably not, right? Maybe, probably not. Let alone, how about for murderers, thieves, and criminals? That's big no now, right? Definitely not. Maybe for your spouse or your kids, hopefully you'd sacrifice your life, maybe. I don't ask people to raise hands on that because I did that one time and uh, I had a, a self-described man told me he was ornery and he sat on the front row with his daughter next to him and I said, uh, who here would you know, give up your life for your kids? And he said, only for one of them. <clears throat> he had two. So <clears throat> I don't ask for that one anymore because somebody will try to mess you up on that. But probably not for a random stranger, right? Not for someone we don't know. But that's what Jesus did for us. He died for us when we deserved death, when we didn't deserve it while we were yet sinners. We didn't bring anything positive to the table. We didn't bring anything uh, worthwhile, right? He didn't go, all right, I'm going to go die for them because, yeah, they're, they're worth it. No, it describes us as sinners. You know, during times of war, countries will do a prisoner exchange if one side has somebody that's worth it to swap out and get back, like a high-ranking general or something like that. 
This wasn't that case, though. Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. God proved his love for us by dying on the cross for each and every one of us when we didn't deserve it. Can we show our love for him? Can we start a relationship with him if we haven't? Can we choose to forgive others because of what God did for us? Two more verses I want to look at. Verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. We were saved. Christ died for us to save us from God's wrath. You were saved from God's wrath, which is eternal death, separation from God uh, for eternity to spend in hell and eventually the lake of fire. And it wasn't what God wanted for us. He wants us to have a relationship through his son. God died to, Jesus died to save us from God's wrath. Can we forgive somebody else for something much smaller than that? Finally, the last one, and there's many we could look at. We could spend the whole morning looking at what Jesus did for us. But the last one we'll look at today, verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Christ died for us while we were God's enemies. That's how the Bible described us before we trusted Christ. That's you and me, all of us. We were enemies of God. But Christ died so we don't have to be. That's the good news. If you're here today and you haven't done that, you haven't put your faith in Christ, you haven't started a relationship with him, you can have one. Romans 10 verse 13, it says, Whosoever, anyone who calls on him, asks to be saved, shall be saved. If you're here and you haven't done that, Let's take a moment and do that now. If everyone will bow their heads, close their eyes, no one's looking around. All you have to do is believe that Jesus died for you and ask him to save you. Call out to him. I'll say a quick prayer. You can repeat the words I do if you haven't ever done that. You can say your own. The prayer doesn't save you. What saves you is believing on Jesus and asking him to save you. You can say something like this, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me. Please come into my heart and save me today. In your name, amen. Now with everybody still bowing their heads, I don't want to call out any names or anything like that, but if you're here and you prayed that today, would you just slip up your hand so I can pray for you? Not by name, nothing like that. Thank you. Let's go ahead and pray. I want to pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for all those who have a relationship with you and those that have placed a relationship with you this morning, Lord. Help us all to be forgiving people in your name. Amen. Now, as we tie this together, if you're here and you have a relationship with the Lord or you, you just started one for the first time today, maybe, forgiveness. Christ died to forgive our sins. Maybe you've been saved for a long time, maybe a short time. It doesn't matter. What a great way to say thank you to him than by choosing to live life God's way and forgive others. That's the point of today is God wants us to live a life of forgiveness. I read this story and I thought it was fitting. A Sunday school teacher had just concluded her lesson and wanted to make sure she had made her point. 
She said, can anyone tell me what you must do before you can obtain forgiveness of sin? There was a short pause, and a little boy in the back raised his hand and said, sin. It's humorous, but it's the truth, right? We've all sinned, and we've all been forgiven of much, and should for sure forgive others. Will you choose to do that today? Here's some takeaways for us. The first one is, God wants you to forgive others because he's forgiven us of so much. It doesn't go super deep today. It's a simple truth of God's forgiven us of so much. He died on the cross for us. He wants to forgive you. He wa- he's forgiven you and wants us to forgive others. Number two, God wants our forgiveness to be from the heart and full of compassion. No counting how many times we've forgiven somebody, no empty words, full forgiveness, even when people don't ask for it, and even when they don't deserve it, because we didn't deserve it when Christ died for us. And finally, number three, God wants us to remember his forgiveness to us. It makes it much easier to forgive others when we remember what we've been forgiven of. Uh, read it in the Bible. You can look in Romans 5, throughout the Gospels. See what Jesus has done for us. Internalize it. Live for it. Share it. Let's go do it, Christians. Let's be forgiving people. If we'll stand, we'll go ahead and be dismissed in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for bringing us all here this morning, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for what Jesus did on the cross to die for our sins. Lord, just please help all of us to take that to heart this week. Help us to leave here being forgiving people and showing those around us what you've done for us, Lord. In your name, amen.